Welcome to the Invictus Church Podcast. We're grateful that you've chosen to listen, and we want to invite you to join us each week as we upload new content. Our prayer each week is that those who listen in would not just be stirred or inspired, but also changed. Now, get ready for life change with this week's message from Invictus Church. Well, welcome everybody to week number four of Concrete in this series. Uh, we have been talking about the concrete foundation of our faith as believers. What do Christians believe? Uh, you know, there's all kinds of different flavors of Christianity. Uh, you've got some very rich, dark, chocolatey flavors of Christianity and some other more generic vanilla type flavors of Christianity. And uh, we're not going to say which ones are which because you might be divided on that. And um, uh, you might be divided on on which is better, dark or white chocolate too. So, you know, who knows? Anyway, all that's just opinions. Uh, but what is not opinion is uh, God's timeless truth. And all Christians, whether we come from a Baptist background or a Methodist background or a Pentecostal background or charismatic or assembly of God or you name it, Lutheran, whatever, whatever background Christians come from, there are some universal truths that Christians across the board have accepted and said, these are really the foundation of what we believe. And when we get away from that foundation, then it's no longer really Christianity. It might look a little bit like Christianity, sound a little bit like Christianity, smell or even taste a little bit like Christianity. But if it doesn't share these core truths, it's not really Christian. It's an imitator. And so let's jump into scripture right away today. First John chapter four, verse one. The Apostle John writes, Dear friends, do not believe everyone who claims to speak by the Spirit. You must do what? Test them to see if the Spirit they have comes from God. For there are many false prophets in the world. How do you spot a false prophet? How do you test the Spirit? You do it by knowing the truth. The frustrating thing is that there are many, many people in America today who would say, I'm a Christian, but if you were to ask, well, what do Christians really believe? What do we adhere to the most? What are the things that matter to us across the board? They kind of go, yeah, something about Jesus, and yeah, I think we believe in God. And, uh, yeah, you know, it, it, people have kind of a hard time answering that question. And, um, and so it's important for us to be able to answer that question, not for other people, but for ourselves. So that when we hear somebody teaching or speaking or we read something on the internet, we have a biblical filter through which to run that and say, yeah, this is real Christianity or it is not. And so um, these are the core doctrines of the Christian faith. Now, there may be more than these five that uh, I've got on this list here that you might say, well, there, these other things are very core to me. And that's okay. Um, you can add some things to this list, like maybe you come from a Pentecostal background and you feel that it's very important that Christians should exhibit uh, this, this, the spiritual gift of speaking in tongues. There are lots of Christians that will disagree with you, that say, no, you don't have to speak in tongues to be a Christian, um, but uh, that does not make your, your belief an unchristian belief. It just means that you have 
a different flavor of Christianity. Maybe you're a little more chocolate or a little more vanilla or a little more cinnamon or nutmeg or whatever. Um, and uh, maybe yours is skyline Christianity versus gold star Christianity, right? Uh, just a little bit different. And uh, it's okay to have those differences. In our church, we have people that come from all kinds of different uh, Christian backgrounds. And we choose, rather than focusing on the things that we disagree about, we want to focus on the things that we agree on. And these are the things that unite us as Christians. So they are the Trinity. Jesus and the Father and the Holy Spirit are three in one, one in three. It's a mystery that's hard for us to understand. In fact, impossible for us to understand. We really can't get it. It's the nature of God. If you could understand everything there is to understand about God, that would mean that God was small enough to fit inside your head. If God was small enough to fit inside your head, would you worship that God? No, that's a made-up God. So the mystery of things like the Trinity are things that make us worship and go, wow, he's bigger than me and what I can comprehend. And that's actually a good thing. The twofold nature of Christ. Jesus was fully God and he was fully man. He was not 50-50. He was 100-100. And it was 100 plus 100 equaled 100, not 100 plus 100 equaled 200. Again, it's God math. We can't understand it. It's hard for us to process. We don't get it. But when we talk about the Christmas season, we're really talking about the incarnation of Christ. That's a big, fancy word that sounds like carnation instant breakfast. Anybody remember those? Um, and, uh, you know, pour a little bit of milk in there, and it kind of simulates a breakfast. This is not carnation. This is incarnation. God incarnate. He came and became a person. Imagine what a step down that was. You're God. You can't get a headache. You know everything. You're perfect. You're all powerful. And then you're going to put on a baby suit and have to wear diapers and get croup and be colicky and Mama's going to have to take care of you. Then you're going to have to deal with siblings and with school and growing up and adolescence. I mean, what did God put himself through? What a huge sacrifice to become one of us, and yet he held on to his godhood. He wasn't half and half. He was fully God and fully man. It's a mystery for us to understand we can't fully understand it, but we can accept it. The atoning work of Christ on the cross. This is one of the most critical and foundational and basic beliefs of the Christian world. And that is this. Jesus died physically on a cross. Jesus, who was God and who had never sinned, died as a sacrifice to pay the price for my sin, for your sin, for all of our sins. His death was enough to cover all sins for all people anywhere, anytime that they accept the gift that he provided for them. When we talk about Christmas, we always talk about gifts. The Lord gave us his one and only son. And uh, culturally, Christmas has really been blown up in America to be like the Christian holiday. But the Christian holiday is not Easter, or it's not Christmas, it's Easter. Because this is just the setup for what's to come. The best is yet to come. You think it's awesome that God came in the flesh? It's even more awesome the atoning work that he provided on a cross. 
He died for our sins. An even greater gift than becoming a person, one of us. And then, how do we receive that gift? We receive that gift by accepting that salvation does not come by what I've done. It comes by what God did. It's through His grace, not my works. And I accept it by faith. I don't earn it by being good. Salvation comes by grace through faith. And then the thing that cements it all is the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus not only died physically, he got up physically. He conquered death for all eternity. He is still alive. Jesus is in heaven with a physical body that never gets sick, that never gets old. He has destroyed death. This is why we can trust what he says. For 2,000 years, people have tried to disprove the resurrection. And for 2,000 years, people have failed to disprove it. Why? Because it really happened. It actually happened. And that's why we can accept what Jesus claimed and said about himself. These things are what make us unique among the world belief systems. These essential doctrines distinguish false Christianity from true Christianity. And today we're going to talk about a few of the groups who claim to be Christian, but deny one or more of these essential doctrines of the historic Christian church. And um, I, I can't possibly list them all. There are many, many, many what we call cults of Christianity. But here are some of the big ones maybe that you've heard of. The first one are Mormons or the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. That's a mouthful. Uh, a lot of times you'll hear them refer to themselves as the LDS Church, Latter-day Saints Church. And they'll use that to, um, because it, you know, Mormon got kind of a bad name. You know, Mormons historically were like for marrying a whole bunch of women. And um, man, those, those poor husbands, I don't know how they do it. Um, I can hardly handle one wife because she's so amazing and I am so incompetent. <laughs> and um, uh, if, if I had a house full of women that I had to call wife, I'd be in trouble. And uh, Mormons were all about that for, for a long time in the Mormon church. Um, they, they were down on black people because they were like, well, black indicates that there's some kind of a sin sickness in your soul and that's why your skin is black that's weird and then that changed in the you know 60s and 70s when uh brigham young university their big university was realizing man we're getting beat by all these teams that have black people on their the athletic teams and if we want to keep up we have to have a revelation from god that now it's cool to be black i mean weird stuff that mormon churches rightly uh caught a lot of flack for and so they've kind of started to rename themselves if you will rebrand it and so uh, they'll, they'll frequently just call themselves LDS or I'm with the LDS church and um, uh, so you, you've got to know what you're, you're looking for um, and, and um, uh, Mormons or whoops pardon me I hit the wrong button on my iPad and where did it go there it went don't hit the settings button Alan I can't do this left-handed with my sling on my right hand I can't work my iPad um, <clears throat> So Mormons, here, here are some of the strange beliefs or the beliefs that they have that stray away from the core doctrines of Christianity. They believe that God is an exalted man, that God was once a dude like I'm a dude, and that 
he, apparently on his world, was good Mormon or LDS or whatever his God determined he should be, and then he got promoted to godhood and made our world. He, they believed that Jesus was the firstborn of God, that he is not the same as God, but that he's the firstborn of God, and he's the brother of Lucifer. They believe that the Holy Spirit is not God, but that the Holy Spirit is an influence from God. And, and many times when you're talking to somebody in the LDS church, they'll say, tonight I want you to pray about this. And if you feel something burning in your bosom, that's the, the Holy Ghost speaking to you. They'll always say the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Spirit, for whatever reason. The Holy Ghost is speaking to you and confirming that what I'm telling you is true. They don't tell you to go seek the truth. They say, seek a feeling. If you have that feeling, it must be true. You know the song? I believe I can fly. I believe I can touch this guy. No, you can't. Sorry, you might feel like it from whatever you've been smoking when you were writing that song, but you can't fly. Seeking a feeling is never the answer. Seek the truth. They believe that salvation is by works. They have other documents that they hold uh, not only equal to, but superior to the Bible. The Book of Mormon is the most commonly known one. They have something called the Doctrine of Covenants and another one called the Pearl of Great Price, that these books to them are elevated to the standard of Biblehood, and even if they contradict Scripture, they say these other three books are right, and the Bible is the one that is wrong. They believe that only Mormons have eternal life, that everybody else is annihilated. There's no hell. That if you're... A Mormon, you've got a chance to get to heaven, and if you're a really super good Mormon, you'll, you'll get promoted even higher, and ultimately, LDS men can go on and become gods of their own planets, and you can be such a good Mormon that you too can become God and populate your little world, because in heaven, you will be married to many, many wives. You will have eternal sex with all of those wives. You will make spirit babies to populate your planet. This is what they really believe. And they will say to you all day long, we are Christians. No, they're not. They do not believe what Christians believe. They use a lot of the same vocabulary. They quote a lot of the same scripture, but they don't believe the same thing. Jehovah's Witnesses, JWs, a lot of people column. And one guy, I once heard a guy say something, I probably shouldn't say this because it's kind of insulting, but it made me laugh. He called them a bunch of witless hosers. Anyway, I think he was inspired by Bob and Doug McKenzie. Anybody remember them? If you're old and remember the McKenzie brothers, come on, eh? You know, Rick Moranis and Dave somebody or other, whatever his name was, and they played the guys on TV. They were from Canada and drank beer all the time. Am I the only one here, really? Man, I feel ancient. Okay, a couple of you. Thank you. Uh, anyway, uh, <clears throat> your homework assignment today is go YouTube Bob and Doug McKenzie's uh, uh, 12 Days of Christmas song, and you'll, you'll hear a lot about beer. Anyway, um, uh, the, the McKenzie brothers, they... they uh, 
um, uh, like to call people hosers. So anyway, that's why I, forgive me for chasing that rabbit. Kill it. All right, uh, anyway, uh, what do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? They believe that there is no trinity. There is no Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Uh, They believe that Jesus was not God. In fact, they also believe that Jesus was not fully human either. They believe that he was the archangel Michael. They believe that he did not rise from the grave physically. He only rose in spirit. They believe that the Holy Spirit is a force. Like George Lucas used the force. He's not really God. And they believe that salvation comes through door-to-door work. You go knocking on doors. May I share with you this uh, important information about the last days and uh, they want to talk to you about what they believe. They will quote to you from only their translation of the Bible, which is a gross mistranslation that was translated by people who did not even know how to read the original languages of Scripture, Hebrew, Aramaic, and Greek. So how are they equipped to translate Scripture? It's very strange. When you look in the history of where the Jehovah's Witnesses even get their Bible, It's very distorted and strange and completely man-made, easy to disprove. Uh, Jehovah's Witnesses are very committed to trying to reach everybody. So are Mormons. You've probably had one or both of these groups of people come to your house at some point. They're very aggressive about trying to reach more people. Another one that's kind of an interesting one, is maybe you've heard of it, maybe not, the Unification Church. This was founded by Sun Myung Moon in 1954. They believe there is no trinity, that Jesus was a perfect man, but he was not God. They believe that Jesus bows down to the Reverend Moon, who is the true King of Kings and Lord of Lords and Lamb of God. Did you know that the true King of Kings, Lord of Lords and Lamb of God started his new religion in 1954? Interesting. The Holy Spirit is a feminine spirit who works with Jesus to lead people to the Reverend Moon. Jesus did not resurrect physically. Salvation comes by obeying and accepting the true parents, Reverend Moon and his wife. This eliminates sin and makes you perfect. Ironically, that's the closest thing to a Christian belief they have. They don't believe in doing good works to get saved. They believe in trusting in the Reverend Moon and his wife. Just like we believe, as Christians, you believe and trust in Jesus to save you rather than trusting in good works. But it's by believing in them that eliminates your sin. And you, um, when you persuade other people to follow Reverend Moon, it results in spiritual advancement. You're going like, to get ahead. And uh, God's going to rank you higher than other people and better than other people because you have persuaded others to follow their religion. Christian science is another big one, uh, or the Church of Christ Scientist. This is not to be confused with Scientology. Uh, Scientology is a whole other thing. It is not a cult of Christianity. Uh, It's not even kissing cousins with Christianity. Uh, If you've uh, ever learned anything about Scientology, you've probably seen that uh, Tom Cruise is a well-known, probably the best-known Scientologist. um, And uh, uh, what's his name? The Staying alive guy, uh, John Travolta. He uh, is also another one. 
Um, there were rumors floating around for a while that Will and Jada Pinkett Smith were um, in the Church of Scientology, and they have vehemently denied that and come out saying that was never really true, that she was interested in some of the teachings but never joined and that kind of stuff. And there's, you know, all kinds of weird stuff. But this is that's totally different. If you want to check that out, interesting, very fascinating stuff. But um, they are not a cult of Christianity, so that's not really what we're here to talk about today. The Church of Scientology... Or the, the Church of Christ Scientist or Christian Science is a distortion of Christianity. Uh, they say there is no Trinity. They believe that Jesus is the divine manifestation of God, but he's not really God. That the Holy Spirit is divine science. I still don't really even understand what they mean by that. They, they believe that Jesus did not suffer for our sins or die on the cross. They completely deny all historical accounts, even the historical um, and, and archaeological finds of letters that historically document outside of Christianity that Jesus was killed by the Roman government, and letters that confirm that, yeah, the Christians believe he raised from the dead. That, so they ignore actual science <laughs> for this, whatever they're calling science. Kind of strange. They, they also believe, of course, that he was not resurrected. They believe that sickness, death, sin, and evil are not real. It's all in your head. So humanity is already eternally saved. Wow, way to go, God. Hitler's in heaven. Joseph Stalin killed millions of his own people, all in the name of his faithless government. And he's in heaven. How's this sit with you? There's no justice in the world because there's no real sin in the world. So whatever. Do what you want. Live how you want. Hmm. At the end of the day, I can't possibly list or describe every cult. So it's up to each of us to know what we believe. How do we know when we look at these lists of beliefs from these groups that they aren't really Christian? Because for the last three weeks, we've been studying what is really Christian. And when we compare the notes, it's glaringly obvious. I don't have to tell you that these groups are not Christian, because when you look at what they believe, you go, whoa, yeah, that's definitely not what Christians believe. And so the most important weapon in your arsenal for discerning the truth is knowing the truth. Take these things home with you, these five points that Christians have historically agreed upon, hang them on your refrigerator, remind yourself of them, tattoo them to the back of the eye, your eyelids if you want to, get them tattooed on your arm, tattoos are popular, do something so that you will remember this is what we believe and it's important because it help us, helps us to distinguish the truth from falsehood. The main point I want to make today is this. Members of these groups, with the exception of Christian science, and others, many, many like them, are very diligent about sharing their faith with people. Christian scientists aren't because everybody's saved anyway. But the rest of them, if you want whatever you're going to get at the end of the day, the big prize, earn it. Work really hard 
and get promoted, work really hard, get your own planet, work really hard, get what you want and need and get heaven or whatever it is they promise at the end of it all and make a lot of converts, reach a lot of people. Now, they do this for very selfish reasons. When a Jehovah's Witness or a Mormon is knocking on your door, they might be doing it for you because they hope that you will believe what they believe to be true and be saved, but they're really doing it more for themselves than for you. Because if they don't do it, they're not going to be saved. And so it's not really about you, it's about them. They're doing it to be saved or to become a god or to advance spiritually. They work really hard to persuade people to believe something so that they can get ahead. Sadly, Christians are the opposite. The reason they do witness these people who are parts of cults is because they are focused on self. But the reason we as followers of Jesus don't witness is because of ourselves. We're selfish. We don't witness because we're focused on self. We're worried people will think we're weird. I don't want to be a fanatic. I don't want to offend somebody. Let me just pause right there. little soapbox sermon. My sons and I keep having this conversation over and over and over because I think this is one of the most important conversations that we've got to pass on to the next generation. This generation is completely missing it. And if we have any hope for our culture, this simple statement is going to be part of it. All right. Answer me this question. What happens when you get offended? You're all answering it. Nothing. Nothing happens when you get offended. I mean, process that for a minute. In our culture, there's this, this thought that if I'm offended, you are the worst, most horrible person in the world. I need a safe space to go cry. For Pete's sake, why? There's this amazing thing I was taught when I was a kid. Rub some dirt on it, man. Get up, go on. Suck it up. Grow up. You know what happens when somebody flips me off in traffic? Nothing. I don't bleed. I'm not physically wounded or permanently altered. You know what happens if somebody disagrees with my politics? Nothing. You know what happens if somebody's offended by my Christianity? What happens to them? Nothing. Am I making my point clear? Please teach your children this. I am begging you in the name of all that is decent in the universe. (laughs) Teach your children that to be offended is life. Be offended and go on. I can be offended by somebody and still love them. How are we losing that in our culture? That is insane. 
insane. All right, soapbox over. Stepping down, calming down, bring my blood pressure back down. That just drives me bananas. Anybody else with me on that? Yeah, I'm about to lose my mind up here. Forgive me, Jesus. Um, anyway, we're, we're worried that if we tell people about Jesus, they'll be offended. Come on. Let them be offended. If that's the worst thing I've ever done to anybody, I'm a darn nice guy. Because you know what I did to them? Nothing. We don't share our faith because we're scared. We're worried. We don't want to be rejected. People in these cults, they strive to convince people to believe lies. Christians, we know the truth, yet we neglect to share it. Evangelism. There's a loaded word. TV. Big hair. Too much makeup. Bad theology. Those are often the words that come to mind when we think of evangelism and evangelist. But here's how Jesus described evangelism. Matthew 4.19. Come, follow me, he said, and I will make you fishers of men. Anybody here love fishing? Raise your hand. Those of you who love fishing, I don't understand it. Um, it's just boring to me. I don't like things that are slow and monotonous. I just don't. And you think I'm crazy, and that's okay. I'm not offended. And even if I am, nothing happened. And if you're offended by the fact that I don't like fishing, nothing happened to you either. You can love fishing, that's great. But I've often wondered, why do they call it fishing? Why don't they call it catching? Because that's really what it's all about, right? It, at least to me, it seems like the end goal is the, the whole thing. Look, I'm going to catch me something. People say a bad day fishing is worse than a, bad, a good day working. I completely disagree. A bad day fish. I've been fishing and caught nothing, and I felt nothing but misery and boredom. And I left going, man, I, I don't want to do this anymore. I did not catch a fish my entire life until I was 19, and I went a lot with my dad. He was a good trout fisherman. I never caught anything, never, until I was 19 years old. The first fish I caught was in Oklahoma in a little bitty pond. It was a sunfish about this long. <laughs> had to throw it back. I was never so excited in all my life. I finally caught one, and five minutes later, I caught a perch about a quarter of an inch longer. Man, I finally did it, and I had to throw them both back. So I didn't even get to kill and eat the dumb things. But, you know, for the first time in my life, I got the thrill of catching a fish. It wasn't enough to suck me in and make me go sell everything I own and buy a bunch of stuff. And when we go to Colorado every summer, my wife loves to go fly fishing. I like to sit there and watch her because she's got a cute backside. <laughs> even in the big old rubber pants and everything. And uh, that's when you know you're in love with your wife. She comes out wearing waders and you go, wow. So, you know, I don't, I don't get it, but K 
catching. That's the point, right? It's not the fishing, it's the getting. Anyway, that, that, that's the whole just weird thing. A trip through the mind of Alan. But the, the process is what fishermen love. If you're a fisherman, you're disagreeing with me. You're like, no, the point isn't catching. The point is experience. Did you know that the point of evangelism is not catching? Not putting a notch in your belt. I've led 13 people to Jesus. How many of you led? If it was, we would only go after the really tall, fat Christians or unbelievers. Be like, I caught one this big, right? Oh, man, you just got a little skinny kid. He's only nine years old. Throw him back. The process is the point. God wants us to evangelize, yes, because he wants to save them, but also because it grows us. It doesn't save us. You're not going to get spiritual advancement for sharing your faith. But you'll change, you'll grow, you'll know more about the truth, you'll want to see more people come to know Christ, you'll, you'll develop a bigger and better love for others when you care about the destination of their eternal soul enough to tell them. The whole reason I mention this is because the end result is not up to you. You can't save anybody. Jesus doesn't say, come follow me and I'll make you saviors of men. Come follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. Why does he want people to be saved? Because he loves everybody. All people. Why does he want you to do it? Because he wants you to have his heart. To love everybody. All people. The most hateful thing we can do is not share. So how do we need to become better fishers of men? Number one, if you're taking notes, write this down. Abandon your pride. Leave it at the door. It ain't about you. Philippians 2, 5 through 7 says, Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself. What? Nothing. Kai is the Greek word that we've translated same. I went and looked it up. wanted to have a deeper understanding of what the Greek translation here says. And you know what Kai means? Same. Wow, that's deep. Same means same. Your attitude should be exactly like his attitude. The same. What was his attitude? He made himself nothing. He abandoned his pride. He left it back in heaven. He said, I become nothing so that others can be saved. 
There was nothing that was beneath Jesus, so there is nothing that should ever be beneath us. If you've ever had the attitude as a Christian about in some way, shape, or form sharing your faith with other people and say, well, I'm not going to do that. That's exactly what you should do today. We have invite cards at our church that we use routinely. One side invites them to our church. Why? Because every week is the right week to bring somebody with you to Invictus Church. Every week we're going to share the gospel of Jesus. Every week they're going to be given an opportunity to respond. Every week we're going to risk, risk offending people by asking them to accept Christ as their Lord and their Savior. And we want to partner with you. So one of the easiest things you can do is invite them to church. Hey, would you come to church with me? And they're going to hear the gospel. Simple. But a lot of people, they're like, I'm not darkening the door of a church. So on the back of the cards, I have a website truelife.org. We don't run this website. We promote this website. Why? Because it's a great evangelism tool. On it are tons of videos, short videos with free answers to all kinds of life's tough questions. For instance, what do Mormons believe? What do Jehovah's Witnesses believe? What about depression? What happens when somebody kills themselves? Is abortion really wrong? Should I get divorced? What happens when we die? Let's talk about homosexuality, pornography, marriage, Jesus, evil. There's all kinds of videos on there for all kinds of difficult questions that we all ask. You can hand somebody this card, say, man, I would love for you to come to church with me. But even if you don't ever come to church with me, I want to invite you to go check out this website because all of us have tough questions, short videos that answer some of these tough questions. And every one of those videos, every single one points them to Jesus at the end and asks them to accept Christ and to become a follower of Jesus. And if there's anything about this card that is beneath you, I'm going to offend you right now. Suck it up. Share the cards. There's nothing about this that's hard. There's plenty about it that's awkward. But we've got these available for you throughout the building. Take them and use them. You don't have to be a Bible expert. You don't have to be an expert to go fishing. You just have to go. Well, I don't have all the gear. We're providing you some. Just go. Just go. Abandon your pride. Second thing to be a better fisher of men is this. Put yourself last. Put yourself last. If you're more worried about being rejected or feeling awkward than you are worried about somebody spending eternity separated from God in hell, your priorities are totally out of whack. Well, they're offended that I believe in hell. That's okay. They should be more offended that if you believe in hell, you're not trying to reach them. Anybody here like the show Seinfeld? It's okay. You can still be a Christian and watch Seinfeld. 
<clears throat> one of my favorite episodes was uh, when Elaine finds out that her boyfriend Putty is a Christian. And she's driving down the street in New York City, driving his car with the music going, and she's bobbing her head back and forth. And the lyrics of the song, I'll never forget it, go, Jesus is one, Jesus is all, Jesus will pick you up when you fall. And she's bobbing her head back and forth, and she keeps hearing Jesus, and she goes, Jesus? (laughs) She's all weirded out. Putty's car had the Christian radio station on, and it had a little Jesus fish on the back. And she was like, you know, are you religious? And he's like, yeah, you know, I'm, I, I believe in Jesus and all this stuff. And um, uh, the conversation came up because one morning they're at the apartment door and she says, oh, man, the paper didn't come today. He said, that's okay, just grab theirs. The neighbor's across the hall. And she said, well, why don't you grab it? Oh, I'm not grabbing it, you grab it. Well, why don't you grab it? Because I'm not the one that's going to hell. <laughs> and so she's like, what are you, you're religious, and that's why all your radio stations are on Christian radio stations, and you have the Jesus sticker on your car. And she's like, I'm not going to hell, but if I am, you should care. You should be trying to save me, she's screaming at him. And wow, what a powerful point a sitcom makes that as Christians... If we really believe this, we better do everything in our power to share it. Because to do anything else is crueler than watching somebody burn to death in a building when we could have stopped it. Put yourself last. Mark 10, 44 and 45. Jesus says, whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. That is what the Son of Man has done. He came to serve, not to be served. Jesus frequently called himself the Son of Man. He was referring to himself there. And what was Jesus' attitude in this case? Not to be served, but to do what? And our attitude should be Kai, the same as that of Christ Jesus. You're never more like Christ than when you serve others. Advancing the kingdom of heaven comes from self-demotion rather than self-promotion. So share Christ with people. People might think I'm strange. It's not really my style. It's not my job to help the church grow. You're the one who gets paid for that, Alan. All of us are responsible for rescuing people doing our best. Think about this for a minute. Of all the things Jesus asks you to do, evangelism is the only one that you cannot do when you get to heaven. When you get to heaven, are you going to be able to worship God? Yep. Are you going to be able to study His Word more and understand some of the mysteries that you couldn't get here? You bet. Are you going to be able to fellowship with other believers in heaven? Yeah, man, there's going to be all kinds of mahjong and uno parties and stuff like that in heaven. Christians getting together and playing games and more potlucks than you can shake your fist at. Are 
Are you going to be able to reach one neighbor for Jesus in heaven? One single family member, co-worker, friend, enemy. Everybody there will be saved. It'll be too late. Let's dream for a minute. Look at this building. God has entrusted us with a piece of property in northwest Cincinnati. Church planters would agree. For the most part, if you're going to start a church, don't do it here. Demographics are all wrong. This isn't a growing part of town. It's actually declining. It's in a corner of Cincinnati, especially where you're located in Colerain, Invictus Church, where not many people want to drive there because it takes about four hours to get from the freeway <laughs> to our building when you're on the north side, you know, the north Walmart up there at 275. You're on the loop. I can't get, because, man, it's fast on the freeway, but as soon as you hit Coleraine Avenue, it is standstill traffic. I want a bumper sticker for my car that says, no, my car is not abandoned, I'm just on Coleraine. It's the worst street in America. Nobody wants to drive here. And we can come up with every excuse in the world why this building is empty from a church planting strategy standpoint. But I want to tell you something. You know why this building is not bursting at the seams every week? It's because we have too many of these cards left over every week. We aren't doing what Jesus wants us to do. Be fishers of men. The most loving thing we can do. There's not a spot on the face of this earth that is a bad place to reach people for Jesus. Wherever there's people, there's somebody to be reached. Jim told us last week, only 13% of the greater Cincinnati area is connected regularly with the church. 13%. Art, the manager of the Christian radio station, says 43% of the listeners of a Christian radio station don't go to church. Almost half. We got to do better. I don't like putting guilt trips on people. I hate them. And so I hope and pray that you don't feel like I'm trying to put a guilt trip on you. My goal is not that. My goal is to help us to have a spiritual awakening. That the greatest privilege in the universe that we have is to say to people, I'm a beggar who found bread. He's the bread of life. His name is Jesus. 
And I know where you can find him too. Come on, let me show you. There is nothing greater. Nothing more humbling. Nothing more loving. That any of us can do. What if we got the people that were out there in here? What if our friends and neighbors came here and received the gospel of Jesus? What if we adopted the selfless tendencies and rescued people from hell? What if your coworkers, your family members came with you to church and followed Christ? What if this place were bursting at the seams because we all became diligent about spreading the gospel? When you walk out the doors, there's hell. It's out there, guys. And these little cards, these are your water pistols. Let's charge hell with water pistols, man. Let's storm the gates of hell. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And yet the picture that we have in the American culture of Christianity is that we are huddled within our gates, hiding from the pressures of hell outside us. We don't want to become like the culture. We're so scared of the culture. We're so, There's hell. Let's get our water pistols. Come on, let's go. The world is dying. And all our little water pistols, they'll add up. And the Holy Spirit will create a geyser that will wash our city and change our community if we would be half as committed to the truth as cult members are to their lies. Let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the Invictus Church podcast. Be sure to tune in every week for more new content. We'd like to invite you to join us in person for our weekend worship services. To get more information about our meeting times and location, please visit us online at www.invictus.church. If this or any of our episodes have inspired you to take steps in your relationship with Jesus, please let us know by sending us a note at info at invictus.church. We would love to hear how our message has helped change your life. Also, if our podcast has been meaningful for you and you'd like to give financially to our ministry, you can easily make your contribution online at www.invictus.church. Thanks one more time for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week.